Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10. Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times. The red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now... As a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stuart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. I will be joined in a few moments by my best man and best friend, Brad Geiger. We will discuss CU's most recent game, the 35-32 road victory over Stanford, taking a few minutes to enjoy the Buffs' third straight win over the Cardinal. We will then turn our attention to this past weekend's games, which notably did not include CU's home game against Arizona State, along with a discussion as to whether the Buffs should have filled the void with a non-conference game against a Mountain West opponent. Finally, we will turn our attention to the rivalry games taking place over Thanksgiving weekend with our analysis of and predictions for the CU-USC game, slated for a 1.30 p.m. Saturday kickoff before a national television audience on ABC. As always, please remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you download your podcasts. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcast sites. And, when you get a chance, please leave us a review. The Buffs are 2-0 on the young season and can put themselves on the national stage with a victory over the Trojans. USC is listed as an 11-point favorite and has its own sights set on an undefeated regular season and a shot at a college football playoff berth. Can the Buffs find the way to defeat the Trojans, a team which they have never beaten? Let's find out. Okay, we are back and talking with one Bradford Lewis Geiger from Highlands Ranch, Colorado. How are you doing today, Brad? We are doing well here at Highlands Ranch. It's a kind of sheltered in place according to Very good. Well, before we can get to the holiday, we want to go backwards a little bit. Um, Whenever there's a chance to talk about a CU victory, we don't want to pass up that opportunity. The last game CU played was against Stanford, a 35-32 win in Palo Alto. 
The Buffs took control in the third quarter, going ahead 35 to, what would it be, 16, with a Jaron Mangum one-yard touchdown run on the first play of the fourth quarter and then held on for dear life the rest of the way, giving up two touchdowns and two two-point conversions in the final stanza to make it a 35-32 final. Bradford, what are your takeaways from the Buffs going to 2-0 and winning a game against Stanford? Stanford is. This was a game, even into the fourth quarter, where it looked like consistently C was a better team. While they did, uh, they didn't get the turnovers they did against UCLA. They didn't get the big lead early. Even in the first quarter and the first half, they felt like the better team. And then those of us who have rather constantly complained about the inability of the CU teams to make adjustments at halftime, it did appear that they came out of the half with a different, better game plan. They went back and pounded the run. And those two third-quarter drives were a better team kind of imposing its will on a team that wasn't quite as good, which is not something we're used to seeing from CU on a consistent basis. Obviously, there are concerns about allowing the comebacks. I think that's probably both an offensive and defensive issue. It does appear that the offensive play calling in the fourth quarter got a bit conservative. Carl Durrell is always going to kind of lean that way. I would love to have a game that didn't depend on whether we were going to recover the last onside kick. But the offense looked good yet again. The offensive line looked good yet again. Everything that we saw against UCLA with the exception of turnovers came back in Stanford. This looks like a team that can play football in the back 12. Yeah, that... I think was the primary takeaway. Again, having seen many third quarters go the other direction in the past decade or so, to have the team come out and put together a 75-yard touchdown drive, have the defense put together a three and out, and then go quickly and score three more plays. And I'll give them credit for the fact that, you know, then Stanford came back, got their third quarter touchdown. And rather than fold or rather than panic, the Buffs put together another long touchdown drive capped by that Mangum touchdown. So the fourth quarter, yes, was not a think of beauty in terms of the offensive output. But once you're up 35 to 16, you tend to take your foot off the gas a little bit, maybe too much in this instance, but just enough to secure the victory. Sam Neuer, a second game as quarterback at the University of Colorado. 255 yards passing, two touchdowns, 36 yards rushing, two more touchdowns, the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week. Nate Landman does his thing once again, 17 tackles, 14 of them solo. The Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week. And just as a partial indication of where Colorado is compared to where Colorado has been in the Pac-12 is only the second time in CU history since joining the Pac-12 that two buffs were named the Offensive and Defensive Players of the Week for the same game for the same week. In case you're wondering, that's joining Sefo Lufau and Nick Fisher, who were the Offensive and Defensive Players of the Week for the Pac-12 for the Washington State game back in 2016. If you remember, that was Sefo's 300-yard passing, 100-yard rushing, and Nick Fisher had that fourth down stop and like the 16-yard line that really sealed the victory for the Buffs in that particular game. 
It's the first time since 2010 that CU has gone back-to-back weeks with the Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, last week, Jarek Broussard was the Player of the Week for Pac-12. In 2010, Cody Hawkins and then Rodney Stewart were the Big 12 players, Offensive Players of the Week, 10 years ago. So while we can wring our hands over what we almost lost in the Stanford game, there were very many positives. I think I agree with you that the offensive line was more than good. I mean, uh, compared to what we were expecting of the offensive line, it was outstanding. It may not be the first class, first tier of offensive lines in the Pac-12, but it is certainly a good Pac-12 offensive line, which is something Colorado has not had for a number of years. And that in and of itself is something to be celebrated. Well, I mean, there was every part of the game, every part of the team played well at the times that they needed to play well. Yes, we would like the defensive line to perhaps put more pressure on the passer in the fourth. Yes, we would prefer our defensive backfield to be more experienced and to not have to break it. Although, even though the defense gave up those two late drives, they were not the UCLA bang 70-yard type. Yes. Stanford was forced to grind it out at a time when they didn't have enough on the clock to do so. And so, yeah, we'd like them to get off the field on third down a little bit better. But there is, was much to like on both sides of the ball in this game. Yes. And just, again, from a team perspective, this was the third straight win over Stanford, and two of those coming on the road. Has been in the not-too-distant past that a road victory in a conference game for Colorado was something akin to seeing Halley's Comet. You know, you knew it was coming. You just knew it was going to take a long time before it got there. And so to not only beat David Shaw's team three times in a row, but to beat him twice in Palo Alto, I know Stanford is not quite the Stanford we have grown used to in the past decade, but still, the stat that really stood out for me, I don't know if you saw this one, that we played Stanford five times in the Pac-12 previously and scored four touchdowns and scored five touchdowns in the most recent game, 35-32 wins. So that in and of itself is something to be celebrated. Now, the Buff fans, unfortunately, were only to celebrate, well, less than 24 hours We were turning our attention to facing Herm Edwards, a team which, and a coach we've beaten twice in a row, which is something that nationally probably most people don't know. Looking for an 8 o'clock p.m. Saturday night kickoff, Folsom Field. And that game was canceled on Sunday. It was not a game that we had to check email, check Twitter all week long, wondering whether or not there would be enough testing going on in Tempe to cancel the game. They called it Sunday afternoon, which left the Buffs scrambling, wondering, not sure what was going to happen. Later in the week, CSU had their home game canceled. Wyoming had their home game canceled. There was a lot of chatter on the message boards about playing CSU, about playing Wyoming. Late in the week, the Pac-12 came out with criteria for non-conference games and two of those criteria were that they had to be Pac-12 home games and that the conference non-conference opponent had to have testing on par with the Pac-12. 
something that neither CSU nor Wyoming could meet. Were you excited about the possibility of a game against CSU? Would you have been willing to have Colorado travel to Fort Collins, making four straight road games for the Buffs? Where were you sitting on the fence wondering whether or not Colorado was going to have a non-conference game this past weekend? No. Um, I was not anywhere close to on the fence. I think we're a better team than Wyoming. I think we're a better team than CSU. I saw no major benefit for us to travel to Laramie or Fort Collins and play a team where if we won, we got no credit. If we lost, we got a lot of blame. One never knows what will happen on short I understand why teams would want to do that. I understand why a coach would prefer to have not have a week off. But I did not see the upside to traveling to either one of those locations, or even having Wyoming come here, especially given that we're a little bit young, we're quite young. Uh, another week of practice without having to play a lesser opponent did not in any way disappoint. Very good. I think the only thing that was disappointing to me was the criticism that Rick George was getting as far as not making it happen. I think the criticism is really to be leveled at the Pac-12 for waiting until mid-November to come up with a policy for non-conference games. When the Pac-12 made the decision back in August not to play and then came into the party last, not even late, but last, in terms of having games at all, you would have thought that in order to maximize the ability of their teams to play as many games as possible, it would have been in the best interest of the Pac-12 to have a non-conference game policy in place so that, yes, there could have been conversations with the Colorado State or Wyoming on Sunday, on Monday, and saying, okay, you may not be able to play your games, we're not going to be able to play our game. There is a chance we could play non-conference games. And here are the criteria. You need to ramp up your testing. You need to come to Boulder. You need to play under our Pac-12 partners in terms of the television. And that's the way it's going to be. Are you willing to do that or not? And had that been an option, then it would have been interesting to see whether or not CSU or Wyoming would have been willing or able to match that or meet those criteria, but at least there would have been the opportunity to have that conversation. And so while I agree with you that there was no upside to playing CSU, especially with the number of players hurt, I see a lot of upside in having two weeks to prepare for USC. Had there been a CSU game under those parameters and the game would have been scheduled on Monday, giving the team, you know, the better part of the week to prepare for the game, yeah, it would have been nice to have Colorado have the opportunity to play another game. Um, in a short season when you're not getting the players the opportunity to play very many games, it would have been nice to see a game. But considering the circumstances, it was not the fault of the bus, nor was it the fault of Rick George of the ECU administration for not making that come together at the last minute. which is unbelievably short-sighted. Ridiculous. So, they are proud of their testing protocol, and they seem really unconcerned or at least willing to accept that certain games are going to get canceled. Um, but to not think about what we're going to do when that happens 
seemed somewhat ridiculous. I didn't understand the criticism of George's story. Yeah. Well, now, there were games played. Pac-12 did actually have four games played. Washington State, Stanford was canceled. So for the second week, the Pac-12 has managed to play four out of their six games. I'm going to read you the scores of three of the four games and ask if you have any opinions as to them. Oregon held on to beat UCLA at home 38-35. Oregon State won at home against Cal 31-27. And Washington was at home, took it to Arizona 44 to 27. Anything that came out of those three games that either surprised you, shocked you, impressed you, or made you want to turn the television off? Uh, <laughs> I was not all that impressed with Oregon against a team, a UCLA team that I'm not sure is a good football team. That Arizona is bad. Not a surprise that they're that bad. Concern, I assume, Tucson. And Cal, well, we don't know who Cal is. That's the bottom line. They've suffered from the COVID restrictions. So I guess I was not shocked by that result, but it was the most surprising that I saw. Yeah. The uh, I watched some of the Oregon UCLA game, and the fact that Oregon wasn't able to put away UCLA when UCLA was playing with a backup quarterback the entire game. I finally got used to saying Dorian Thompson Robinson, and now he went out, you know, he was tested, and Chris, I'm sorry, Chase Griffin came in and actually played pretty well. He had a couple interceptions, but he played pretty well against an Oregon team that should have won by double digits going away. And so, yeah, there are some questions. It'll be interesting when the playoff committee starts talking about the Pac-12 and looking at Oregon not being super impressive, are they putting up enough data points to even get into the conversation for the college football playoff? Uh, Oregon State-Cal was entertaining. That game went back and forth. Oregon State's kind of got that feisty label to them that they you know, blocked a punt to win the game or blocked a punt, set up the winning touchdown. Cal, 0-2, which was a media darling, at least as a dark horse candidate, to win the Pac-12. And now is sitting there at 0-2 along with Stanford. And my takeaway from the Washington-Arizona game, which I watched absolutely none of after a 17-0 in the first quarter, it was 44-27. And if you lived on the East Coast and you just looked at, scrolled through scores, you'd be like, okay, well, it was a high-scoring game. Arizona scored all 27 of their points in the fourth quarter. So it was really not much of a game and really kind of interesting in terms of this was the same Arizona team that would have, could have, should have beaten USC last weekend. But for last-minute heroics by Keaton Slovis and the USC offense to score two touchdowns in the final minutes to pull out that game. So what does that tell us? Is Arizona just up for home games, or is Arizona just as bad as we thought they were two weeks ago before the season started? The other game that was played, which of course was of great interest to Colorado fans, was the USC-Utah game. It was Utah's debut, the last team in the, in the well, not the Pac-12, last team in college football, in FBS, to play a football game. The final score was 33-17. It was 24-17, I believe, at halftime. 
And USC just got three field goals in the second half and slowly pulled away. The Utah quarterback went out. A backup was in for most of the game, although a backup that played for South Carolina for four years threw for 7,500 yards and 50 touchdowns. So not exactly a spring chicken in terms of being thrown into the mix, but still was shut down by the USC defense. What were your impressions of USC coming out of their third victory of the season, not having to score two touchdowns in the final minutes uh, to pull out the victory? Well, they felt like in most areas of the game, I watched most of the first half and the third quarter, as a better team, um, as the more talented team, we knew Utah was rebuilding. And they looked at and they looked like a team playing their first game. In the first half, SC was able, in many cases, to kind of move it well, even in the third, in the second half, when they had to settle for field goal, they were able to move quickly between the 20. Utah appeared to adjust its defense, and I think there are things to be learned from that. The announcers were very clear that Utah was trying to play man against the USC wide receivers, and that was not working. Yes. Um, people were running unmolested to the secondary on a regular basis. I think USC is a good team. I don't think they're great. I think on offense, particularly a wide receiver, they're quite talented. Uh, I think we saw how they're going to play against CU. And I think CU needs to learn from that second half by Utah. Yeah, I think as we slide into our preview of the Colorado-USC game, that is the number one concern, fear, is that perhaps the best unit on the USC team or the USC side of the field is their wide receiver core. And the worst or the most vulnerable unit for the University of Colorado would be the defensive backfield. That is not a good combination for Buff fans especially when we look back at the UCLA game when there were some wide receivers running free, running unmolested in the secondary. You were correct when you pointed out that Stanford did not have any significant explosive plays, not large chunk plays, but UCLA did, and that will certainly be the game plan for USC. It certainly seems like USC rises and falls on the arm of Slovis, the quarterback. When he is on, USC is close to unstoppable. They have a quartet of wide receivers that could contend for all Pac-12 honors. And they've also got a tight end. When you start focusing all your attention on the wideouts, they just throw touchdown passes to the tight end. So if Slovis is on it's going to be hard for the Buffs, which, as you noted, didn't generate a great deal of pass rush against Stanford or UCLA, for that matter, to be able to contain him. On the flip side, Slovis, when he's not on, there were moments in the Arizona State game, in the Arizona game, and even in the Utah game where Slovis was average. Uh, His one interception was in the red zone and just not not pretty. Threw it over the middle into triple coverage, not making a good decision. He's not 
very fleet of foot. So he's not a quarterback where, like a Dorian Thompson Robinson, that who are fleet of foot that you have to account for. You're not going to have to worry about that with Slovis. But if he gets protection, there's no pass rush. They're just going to pick the CU defense apart. Fair statement? Oh, completely. You know, Slovis, particularly in that third quarter, he will force a ball. He will, yeah, he's very good when his receivers are open. But the idea that he's going to pull it down and do something, he will throw the ball. If he drops back, he'll throw the ball. He will make some egregious decisions, and particularly in the in the red zone. Well, if he had to pick in the red zone, some of his other passes in the red zone could easily have been picked. Or tipped. One in particular on the second field goal drive was forced into triple coverage across the middle lane. Prototypical thing. Um, <laughs> and Slovis... You say he when he's on, he's fascinating because he'll be on for three straight plays and off for the next three, and then put together a seven-play drive. It's quite inconsistent, but when he's on, he's quite good. Yeah. CU is going to have to find something in the secondary to force him to make bad throws. It's going to have to put pressure on him. Or, as you said, there will be enough open receivers to make this a long day. Yes, with only. You know, one sack and one interception. Now, one interception so far this year was by Carson Wells early in the UCLA game, a linebacker. Um, the defensive backfield is going to have to make some things happen. And on the other side of the ball, the USC defense, was it four turnovers? Five turnovers that they forced against Utah. And a lot of it, yeah, you could say it was Utah's failures rather than USC's ball hawking skills, but anytime, and we certainly saw that play out in the UCLA game, you give somebody four or five turnovers, you're going to be playing uphill for most of the game. Although, I, there's nothing on the USC defensive front that's terrifying. Their linebackers can play some. Utah's offense was so out of sync. really challenging to tell how good that defense is. I do believe there are plays to be had there. I do believe it's a kind of defense that can articulate the ball down the field, make some big balanced drives and score some points. I think, yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I think that frustrating that defense by having consistent conversions on third and two and third and four is CU's best chance against the Trojans because – yeah, when the backup quarterback came in for Utah, it was just, they just teed off on him. I was like, we don't have any respect for your deep ball. We don't think you're going to be able to beat us deep. We're just going to have eight or nine in the box and dare you to try and beat us that way. And Utah was not able to do it. They only scored 17, and one of those, seven of those points were as a scoop and score when they sacked Slovis and the defender ran the ball back for a touchdown. It got kind of ugly when the backup came in initially. It was three and out, three and out, three and out. It was just, it didn't look like Utah was going to be able to get a first down the rest of the game. So USC hopefully will come in with a great deal of overconfidence and they will be frustrated by Colorado's ability to peck away and in the impressive drives that Colorado had against UCLA and against Stanford 
they weren't necessarily there was the you know 51 yard touchdown pass to Dimitri Stanley but even that was a relatively short pattern you know it was like an 8 10 12 yard pass that Stanley just caught in stride thank you for that and thank you for that Sam Moyer for actually hitting the wide receiver in stride and he just outran the coverage um, towards the end zone so most of Colorado's drivability is Bruce Hart for six, you know, around the corner for, you know, short pass for four, you know, get another three yards, get another seven yards and just have those 10 or 12 play drives. And that's what worked in the third quarter against Stanford. And it also has the double benefit of keeping the ball out of the hands of the USC offense. So, While time of possession, especially after the Chip Kelly Oregon years, has become a stat that nobody pays any attention to, it could be a statistic that matters in the USC game. Because if we can hold the ball for 35 to 37 minutes of the game and limit them to 25 to 23 minutes in the game, that certainly increases CU's chances. Yeah, I mean, this is a rather classic setup where the offense for CU has to protect the defense. Well, before I get your prediction for the USC-Colorado game, yeah, talk a little bit about the other Thanksgiving weekend games. You got some rivalry games. Stanford-Cal, the game. Oregon-Oregon State, which until this year was known as the Civil War. But for God knows, don't get me started reasons, it's no longer going to be called the Civil War. And the Apple Cup apparently is still politically correct enough to still be the Apple Cup. So Washington, Washington State supposed to be played this weekend. And the other two games would be Utah at Arizona State and then Arizona at UCLA. Any of those games stand out to you as something that you're going to pay particular attention to? Well, in terms of conference, I'm watching both Washington, Washington State and Oregon, Oregon State because the whole goal is to get either Oregon or less likely Washington up against USC in the Pac-12 championship to get in the play. Whether that's going to happen, Washington needs to be a good team for Oregon to beat or vice versa. And then those two teams, whoever wins that of that game, has to be good for USC. And the winner then hopefully gets into the play. One would expect Oregon, although they're on the road, to beat up on Oregon State. One would expect Washington, although they're on the road, beat up on Washington State. Um, we'll know a lot more about the division of the Pac-12 North. Uh, Stanford Cal, that I think would be a low-rated football. Oh and two against O and two. You know, that's was not predicted. Yeah. And you know, Utah Arizona State may teach us something about Arizona State. Again, we don't know a thing about who they are. You know they lost to us. The rest of it was Predictions and a team that has been off the practice field, the coach has been ill. There's still an awful lot to learn four games into this back season. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Utah-Arizona State game, both 0-1, having both lost to USC and not played any other games. So I am interested in how that is going to play out, which team is for real, which team is not destined to do well this season. I am interested to see how Oregon State does against Oregon. It may be that Oregon may only look towards the Washington game and maybe look past the Beavers. The Beavers have, like I say, they're, they're feisty, and they do tend to play Oregon pretty tough in the rivalry game. Stanford-Cal, yeah, it's like who's going to finish worst? And, of course, then Arizona-UCLA, you would suspect, based upon this past weekend's games at UCLA, having beaten Cal and almost beaten Oregon, well, let's say they almost beat Oregon, but they certainly stayed with Oregon and gave themselves a chance at a victory. Arizona, after playing toe-to-toe with USC, looked awful against Washington. So Arizona, of course, is CU's next game after USC. So while all of our attention is going to be on the USC game, you have to keep an eye on the Arizona-UCLA game to see if Arizona is already gone south for the rest of the year and Kevin Sumlin's not going to be with us for 2021 or if UCLA is actually for real. It'd be interesting to see how that one that one plays out. Now for our game, Colorado at USC. The over-under on the number of times this week you're going to hear that Colorado has never beaten USC is set at 14, which is, of course, the number of times the two teams have played, and USC has won 14-0 and against Colorado. It was ugly in the early part of the Pac-12 years when a string of quarterbacks set records against Colorado, six touchdown passes, seven touchdown passes, Linehart, and, you know, quarterbacks like that that just, um, you know, NFL quarterbacks had their way with Colorado it's been close the latter part of the decade. Last year, the 35-31 game in Boulder was particularly frustrating because that was certainly a game the Buffs could have won. Uh, we will see what the pundits think about the game. I'm sure that USC will be a heavy favorite because Colorado does not have much credibility nationally. What would be your prediction? What's your call? What are your focal points for the Buffs heading to the Coliseum to try and break a 14-game losing streak against the Trojans. CU is better than we expect. USC is not the USC level. It is a weird year in which almost anything can happen and almost anything has with a few exceptions. But it remains CU on the road in Los Angeles against USC where their strengths match up to our weaknesses far too closely. Would I be shocked to see you pull off the upset? No. But in terms of a prediction, 31-24 USC. <laughs> we're going to have to stop doing this. Um, <laughs> otherwise, or we're going to have to find a third party, maybe Stoner or somebody, to we can send these things to each other with folded pieces of paper, and we can reveal them on the Zoom meeting at the same time. I have it 33-24 USC. 
for many of the reasons that we've been talking about, just the matchups, the USC receivers against the Colorado secondary, that just scares me to death. I'm also concerned just about the, the mental part of the game. And we know that there's a good part of this that is physical, it's pure talent, but this is also a, a mental game, especially in the college level, which is why we love it so much, why we have upsets, games that we did not see coming. It's because of just the, the mental aspect of the game. And USC having that belief that even if they fall behind, that they can come back in the last few minutes and win the game. Whereas Colorado has this, even if we get ahead by several touchdowns, we're going to have to sweat it out. And that just seems to be a lethal combination where Colorado is afraid to lose and USC is confident that they can win regardless of the circumstances. I'm hopeful that this team under Carl Durrell is going to build that mentality where they don't care, and they seem to have done very well so far, but it does seem to be an uphill climb against a quality team. Again, I agree with you, not as good as we feared, and Colorado is certainly better than we expected, which narrows the gap, but it is a concern that Colorado has a history of not being able to finish games against USC, and the first three games of this year, USC has had comebacks while Colorado has allowed comebacks. And the ability for USC to potentially have explosive plays against the Colorado secondary is certainly disconcerting. I'm like you. I'm hopeful. I wouldn't be super surprised if Colorado won, but I would be surprised if that actually turned out to be the result. So... I think the Buffs are going to play well. They're going to acquit themselves well. But if we look back three weeks, this was a game where we just wrote it down as an L, and we're going to move on to Arizona. And hopefully there's enough bodies getting back that were injured that will make some contributions that will help the Buffs keep it close and play well. But I'm hoping against hope that we are getting back together again next week and talking about how we were so wrong in picking against our buffs. We should have stuck to our guns, and we picked them to beat UCLA, picked them to beat Stanford, and we're proven correct. Only, you know, this time we're picking against our buffs. Let's hope that we're not as smart as we think we are and that the buffs were able to, to pull out the upset win. Well, in, in this world of take moral victories, and I'm sure Carl Durrell is not coaching for a moral victory, to take a young team, a team that's playing a lot of young players, to the Coliseum, to play USC. They can keep this close. And it may not be so much about this year, it may be about the next year. This team can go in and say, yeah, we stood up to USC in the Coliseum, and the next time we see them, we're going to get them. That would be a moral victory. Okay, we're going to let that be the last word. Brad, I hope you have a happy and safe Thanksgiving weekend with the family, and we will talk again next week. Have a happy holiday, my friend, and enjoy the bird. Thank you for listening to this episode of the See You at the Game podcast. As a reminder, 
my written preview for the game, my tips for Colorado at number 19 USC, has been posted on the website for your review and comment. The website is updated multiple times daily with news stories posted regularly under the Colorado Daily and Pac-12 Notes headings. This Friday, the Friday Fast Facts will make their weekly appearance. On Saturday, the game story from the Coliseum will be up by dinner time, with my essay for the game being posted on Sunday morning. Then next week, the merry-go-round begins anew with the podcast review of the USC game and a preview of CU's road game against Arizona. So, until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.